Hey, you're listening to the Bramley Baptist Church podcast. We're glad you're joining us to listen to this week's message. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to strengthen your walk with God, we believe that God will speak to you today. Let's get into the word together. Well, this past April, it marked uh, the end of a journey for me. Ten years ago, I started a journey of working towards uh, uh, my master's degree of divinity, and I I finally reached that finish line uh, just this past April by God's grace. Uh, And it was a a long, (laughs) I didn't didn't say it for that, but praise God. Uh, It was a long journey. Uh, There were times where I I had to take time off, either because life was busy or or money was tight. Uh, There were long nights of writing papers and trips back and forth uh, to school. Uh, it was a financial sacrifice, a family sacrifice. And, and there, is about a, there is a point around the seven-year mark where I just, I, I just thought, I want to give in. I want to give up. And it was right around the time I started taking uh, the biblical languages. I started learning uh, Greek and Hebrew. And man, that was, that was stretching. And, and honestly, I, I passed, but barely. And... Uh, it was a struggle, and I thought to myself, like, what am I doing this for? I mean, I'm already doing the work that, that I, I know the Lord has called me to do. Uh, I, I'm not sure how getting this MDiv is going to uh, progress my career only, press, progress my career any further. And not only that, I mean, I have enough credits to, to get the degree that's just below that. So, so why not? Like, why not just throw in the towel? And I'm so grateful for my wife, so grateful for Allie because, I mean, it was just as much a sacrifice to her, sometimes even more. And so I thought, I went to her with this idea, thinking she'd be like all in for it. And she, she looked at me and she said, Dave, we've sacrificed too much and you've come too far to give up on it now. You're, you can finish this degree. And my wife reminded me of the importance of persevering to the end, of finishing well. And I find James giving us a a similar exhortation in our passage this morning. I mean, he's writing to a group of Jewish believers who are facing trying times. We know that because how he started this letter, started it calling them to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Uh, We saw last week James addressing this group of unrighteous rich who were oppressing the poor. And so we get the sense that these were believers who were facing some kind of persecution. So, So with all of these hardships, with all of those trials, I mean, the thought about just giving up and throwing in the towel had to cross their minds. So James writes to them, be patient. Be patient Brothers and sisters, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know, maybe you've had similar thoughts. Maybe you've had similar seasons of struggle and trials and and throwing in the towel and turning your back and walking away has been on your mind. I would just encourage you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. James is giving us this this urging, this exhortation to be faithful to the end, to persevere until the coming of the Lord. He's telling us, be patient, establish your heart, look to God's words, persevere to the end. 
So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open them to James chapter 5 with me this morning. We're going to walk right through this passage. And if you don't have your Bibles, open up your devices. would love to you to just look at God's word for yourself. I'm going to read James chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses 7 to 12. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And, and if you're able, I'm just going to ask if we'd stand in reverence to God's word this morning. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is God's word for us this morning. Uh, you may be seated. So we know that James here is talking to believers. He uses his favorite term when he's referring to believers. He keeps referring to us as brothers, right? Brothers and sisters, family in the Lord. This is an exhortation to those who consider themselves believers in Jesus. And, and James is drawing us as believers. He's drawing our attention to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get that because this reminder is draped all the way through this passage. We see it in verse 7. He says, he exhorts us, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Verse 9, he tells us, establish your heart for the coming of the Lord. In verse 9, the reminder that the judge is standing at the door. So he's writing to call us to keep our eyes on Christ, to be looking for his coming. And, and we need to be clear here that, that he's writing this as an encouragement to us. And that's important to know because so often I, I find that when we, when we talk about the coming of the Lord, so often it's in a tone of fear. And if you're living a sinful life, if you're living in open rebellion towards God, if you've rejected Jesus Christ as Savior, then absolutely fear is the tone and dread is what you sh should sense when you think about facing the God who created you and will one day give, call you to account for your life. But the prayer is that that fear would turn to faith, that that fear would cause you to repent and turn to him for forgiveness and restoration, that your fear would turn to faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only means by which anyone is saved from the coming judgment. Some of us need to hear that message. But for the faithful follower of Jesus, the coming of the Lord is not a, a day we should fear, but we should be longing for it. James is encouraging these believers. The reminder of the coming of the Lord, it comes on the heels of what we read in verses 1 to 6 last week. The, the warning of judgment coming on the unrighteous rich who are oppressing the poor and murdering the righteous. In verses 1 to 6, James is 
is warning of judgment. That's why he opens up and says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's a warning. Your sin will find you out. But then in verses 7 to 12, he turns his focus from the oppressors to the oppressed. And these believers were facing persecution and oppression. Uh, We can assume that if these were Jewish believers, uh, they are believers who have turned their back on their Jewish religion and they've chose to follow Jesus as their Messiah. And, and, And so by doing, they would have ostracized themselves from a whole community. By making the choice to follow Jesus, they've turned their backs on their family and security and community and careers and livelihoods. And those whom they've known and loved and worshipped in the synagogue are now those who are mocking them, cursing them, boycotting them because of their choice to follow Jesus. So these are believers who are suffering from the injustice of this world. And in order to encourage them in their suffering, James says, be patient. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. I mean, trials have a way of causing us to long for the coming of the Lord, don't they? Take heart. Be patient. Justice is coming. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give in. Jesus is coming. And, and oh, how our hearts should long for that day. I mean, we, we look at the world and, and maybe like these believers that James is writing to, we're, we're struggling with the injustice that we see. We're, we're struggling with the suffering and the wickedness of this world. Our hearts are weary because of the war and destruction in the world, the suffering, the sickness. And some of us, we don't have to look across the world to find it. Some of us are are facing hardships in our own lives. And like these believers, our hearts are longing. How long, O Lord? How long will the unrighteous prosper? How long will the evil rise and the good be downtrodden? How long, O Lord? Our hearts should be longing for the coming of the Lord. I mean, if you are comfortable in the world, then maybe you should examine your hearts this morning. If you aren't longing for the day, if you aren't longing for the day when we shall see Jesus, when our faith shall be made sight, then question whether you're living for the Lord this morning. That phrase there, the coming of the Lord, it's key. It comes from the Greek word perusia. Perusia is the Greek word that is used often, the most often in the New Testament to describe Christ's second coming. It it speaks of his arrival, but, but more importantly, it speaks of his presence. That's what we're longing for. We're longing for his presence. The day when you and I will be with the Lord forever. When we won't have to leave his presence. And Paul, when writing to encourage the Thessalonians, he he talks about the day when Christ shall descend and gather all his people to himself. He says, the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive shall, shall also meet him in the air. And he says, in that day we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Encourage each other. 
Jesus is coming, a day when we will always be with the Lord. His presence. You know, there are times when, when Allie takes the kids and they go down to Windsor for a few days. And if I'm, if I'm honest, I mean, I enjoy a couple days alone by myself to watch what I want to watch and do what I want to do. I'll say for the first night or two, but, but then I, you know, I start to miss my family. I do, I do miss them. And, uh, and we do things, we, we have phone calls, we have, you know, voice chats or voice chats or video chats and, and we see their, see their face, but, but it's not the same, is it? It's not the same as having them with us, of being in the presence of each other. And, and that's what we long for. That's the cry of the Christian heart, isn't it? To be with the Lord. We can pray. We're we're blessed to be able to pray and to talk to the Lord. We're blessed to be able to open his word and hear from him. And we get a sense of his presence. But to be with him, to have his presence with us, the day when we shall see his face. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Our hearts long for the day when Christ returns. And the danger is, the danger is discouragement. The danger is doubt. The danger is becoming impatient. So James is writing to encourage us, persevere until the end. And and this is what he says. He says, first, persevere in patience. Persevere in patience. I get that from what he says there in verse seven. Look there with me. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Be patient. You know, if there's one thing I struggle with, it's patience. And I I don't think I'm the only one, right? I mean, the only reason why any of us waits is because, well, we have to. Nobody chooses to wait. In this age of high-speed internet and two-minute microwave meals, I mean, I hate waiting. I hate waiting on people. I hate waiting for people to pick me up. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate waiting for appointments. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. And the more I thought about it, the more it dawned on me, like, like maybe that's why God makes me wait so often. <laughs> Be patient. Patiently wait on the coming of the Lord. But if there's something worse than waiting, what's, what's worse than waiting? The worst, what's worse than waiting is doing nothing while we wait. Like that drives me crazy. It's probably why so many of us, whenever we have to wait, the first thing we do is we pull out our phones and we start scrolling. Like some of us can't even sit at a, at a stoplight without checking our phones. That drives me crazy. But here's the thing about the patience that James is calling us to is while we are waiting on the Lord, he's not calling us to a passive patience. He's calling us to an active patience. It's active. We get that from the illustration that he uses for patience. He says, look, he says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. 
You picture a farmer waiting for rain to come. Well, he isn't sitting in his house on a chair, staring out the window, waiting for the rain. No, what's he doing? Well, he's working while he waits. He's got a field to prepare for those rains. He, he trusts that the rain is coming and he has no control over when the rain is coming, but he knows that it's coming. And sometimes the rain takes longer than he wants to come, but he still knows it's coming. And so every year he's out there preparing his field, tilling it, soiling it, fertilizing, knowing that the rain is coming. No control over how the fruit is going to grow, how fast it's going to grow. But there are things that he can do, things that are under his control. And he does what he has to do to prepare for the coming of the rain. And that's the image that James gives us as we're waiting on the Lord to come. You and I aren't called to sit idly and stare at the sky waiting for Jesus to come. No, there's work that we're called to do while we wait. Just like the farmer, we're called to prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That preparation, well, the first place it starts, it starts with us. It starts in our hearts, in our lives. We need to prepare ourselves for the Lord's coming. Ensure that we are in his word. Ensure that we're fighting and battling against our sin. Ensure that while, we're, while we wait, we're, we're serving him, doing what we're called to do to, to build his kingdom in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, and across the world. And this is what it looks like to wait, to wait patiently on the Lord. It looks like living in faith, active patience. We know he's coming just like the farmer knows the rain is coming. We don't have control over when he's coming any more than the farmer has control over the rain that's coming. But the worst thing that we can do is not be ready when he comes. Be patient. And yet the question may be, well, What's taking so long? Because Jesus has been returning for over 2,000 years. So tell me, like, like why is it taking so long? It's, it's a great question, but it's not a new one. It's one they were asking even within a, a few decades of Jesus leaving this earth. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 3. In fact, he says, people are going to ask this question. He says this in 2 Peter 3, he says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own de evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. The day will come, Peter says, when scoffers will come. Scoffers are those who are mocking and making fun of those who believe. They'll mockingly say, where is this coming that he's promised? Everything, well, it seems to be going on as normal. So where is this coming of Jesus that you keep telling us about? And here's how Peter responds in, later on in that chapter. 2 Peter 3, verse 8 to 10. Here's what he says. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief 
and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Peter's point is this, you're wondering why the Lord is taking so long. Well, listen, your timing, God's timing are not the same thing. To you, it's been a couple thousand years. To him, it's been but a drop in the bucket. It's only been a couple days. But more importantly, if God is delaying, you need to consider it an act of grace. If God is being patient with, if God is taking his time coming, it's because he's being patient. He's giving you more time to repent and turn to him. He's not willing that any should perish. And so if he's waiting, he's waiting so that there's more time for those who have not yet entered in to, to enter in. But the day will come when, when you least expect it and everything will pass away. Everything will be dissolved and, and burned up. And, and if he's delaying, it's simply out of grace. Be patient, but be ready. How can I be sure? How can I be sure that I'm ready? Well, well look at what James says there in, in, in verse 8 of our passage. He says, you also be patient. But then he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. Establish means to to set, to strengthen. It gives us the image of, of reinforcing like you reinforce the foundation of a home, not wavering or wobbly. It's building your faith on a solid foundation. James is saying, set your hearts, set your desires, set your passions on the Lord. Make sure they're firm. It's like the old hymn we used to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. There's no turning back. There's no fence sitting in the kingdom of God. If you're wavering, if your faith is wobbly, you're going to be all over the place, jumping in and outside the kingdom and have no sense of purpose. And then we wonder why we're struggling to persevere. Yeah, I remember when I first graduated high school, I mean, I, I had no clue what I wanted to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And so I had opportunities to play football in the States, and that never worked out. I had opportunities to go to the University of Windsor uh, to play music, and that didn't work out. Uh, some of it was circumstances I couldn't help. A lot of it was just simply because I had no focus. I had no goal. I had not established what it was I wanted to do with my life. And I had friends who had a plan, they had a focus, and so they went on to university, they got degrees, they started their careers. You know what I did? I fried chicken at KFC. And then I went from job to job to job to job. Why? Because my heart wasn't established. But when I knew the Lord was calling me to preach his word, when I set my sights and I established my heart to do that with all my will, that's when the Lord began to lead me. I think that's why so many of us just can't seem to find our focus on Christ, establish our hearts. 
We've got too many other things tugging on our hearts, too many things of the world that just seem so alluring and distracting. And, but James is giving us a warning here. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. You, you don't have time to be flirting with the world. Jesus is coming. And one of the things that we do when our hearts aren't established, James says, well, we start grumbling. We see that in verse 9, right? Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That word grumble, it has everything to do with complaining. And, and part of that is an internal complaining. And that's where it starts. And some of us, that's where, our, that's where we're grumbling. We're grumbling about our situation. We're grumbling about the world. We're grumbling about people. We're grumbling about the church. And that inward grumbling and complaining, well, that in, it turns to outward grumbling and complaining where we aren't just grumbling within ourselves, we start grumbling with one another and we're complaining and tearing each other down and we're backbiting and gossiping and slandering one another. And so James gives this warning, this stern warning, the judge is standing at the door. Meaning like Jesus is coming back any minute now. Is this really what, what you want him to find you doing when you, he returns? He, do you really want to, him to find you quarreling and fighting amongst each other? I mean, one of the things that stands out in these verses is the urgency that James is pressing on us, the urgency, the imminency of Christ's return. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble, the judge is standing at the door. There's an urgency to be ready when he returns. Like, 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 let me just ask you this question. I mean, if you knew that Jesus Christ was returning this evening, if you knew that Jesus Christ was returning, what things about your life would you change right now? I mean, think about all that is going on in your life right now. Are, are, those, all the, are those things that you are wrapped up in, those things that you find your, your, yourself absorbed in, things that you spend your time doing, are they things that you would be happy to have Jesus find you doing when he returns? James is saying the judge is standing at the door. How might your life change if you lived like Jesus' return is eminent? I remember when I was a kid, I, it had been a while since I'd seen my dad. At the age of 11, I, I, was a, I was a rebellious, angry child being disobedient to my mother. She, she would come in and she would tell me to clean my room and I would repeat something to her that I would be ashamed of today. So one day, without me knowing, she had my dad stop by and he was waiting outside the door when, when my mom came in and asked me to clean my room. And I started mouthing off like I normally do until my dad walked in and I got real quiet and real pale. <laughs> he was standing at the door the whole time and I didn't even know it. James is giving us that same image here. 
the judge is standing just outside the door. Will he be pleased with what he finds us doing when he returns? Brothers, sisters, here's how you and I persevere till the end. We persevere in patience. We, we establish our hearts. But what about those times when, when faithfulness is hard? What about those seasons of trials and tribulations? Where do we find encouragement to persevere? And here's what James says. James says we, we find our encouragement from God's word. That's how we, we persevere to the end. We, we find our encouragement as we open up God's word and we, we are reminded of the perseverance of the saints that have gone before us and God's faithfulness to them as they persevere. I get that from what he says there in verse 10. Look there with me. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You know, one of the misconceptions that I'm surprised that some have is that, is that when we start following Jesus, we have this misconception that, that, some, that things are supposed to go smooth, that life is supposed to be filled with blessings and happiness. And it takes all about five minutes of being a Christian to believe how tr untrue that, that reality is. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we are exempt from life's troubles. In fact, following Jesus brings a whole new set of trials with it. Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have tribulation. I think of the words of Peter when he says, do not be surprised, beloved, at the fiery trials that have come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But James is saying, in those seasons of fiery trials, in those seasons of tribulation, we look to God's word to find encouragement. He says to us, find encouragement in the example of the suffering of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And he's right. I mean, we think of the hardships, the trials, the sufferings that so many of our, our heroes of the faith endured and we see their faithfulness. We read and we see their steadfastness. We see how they persevere and then we see how God blessed them through it, how he kept them. We see his faithfulness to them and, 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 and we think to ourselves, if God kept them, he'll keep me through this. If God was faithful to them, surely he'll be faithful to me as well. Right, James gives us the example of Job, right? And, and Job, and sure, most of us know how his life went. And in one swoop, he lost his home, he lost his children, he lost his wealth, he lost his health. And when it was all said and done, Job cried. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. After Job's health was attacked, his wife comes to him and says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said, or you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? He says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
Job endured and ensures you read. He, he cried, he complained, but we see God's compassion and his mercy towards him through it all. And yet the Bible is filled with similar stories of the saints. You know, just take some time and walk through Hebrews chapter 11. That's what I did as I, I read that this week. I thought of the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. And you go there and you, you read about Noah who was condemned by this world and mocked for his faith. And yet God preserved him and his family through the flood. You read of Abraham willing to leave everything to follow God, not having all the details, waiting 25 years before actually seeing the promise of a son and God blessed him for his patience and his faithfulness. Read and, and be reminded of Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely in prison, forgotten and cast aside. And yet at the proper time, God raises him up and uses him to preserve the life of Israel and the messianic line. Read and be reminded of Moses, who the writer of Hebrews says, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He says he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. As the writer of Hebrews said, he said, if, if there was time, we could talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephson and David and Samuel and, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. God used them greatly, and yet they faced extreme trials and hardships. The writer of Hebrews tells us all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Instead, he says, they were longing for a, a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Brothers and sisters, if, if you don't have a, a regular diet of reading and absorbing God's word, you are drastically, drastically selling yourself short. You're leaving yourself at an extreme disadvantage to, to read of God's faithfulness to his people despite their sufferings and hardship, to see that the story of God's people is a story of victory through trials, through tribulations, and it was their faith and their longing for something greater than this life that carried them through. To know the same God that turned their weakness to strength, the same God that carried them and kept them is the same God that we serve. Persevere, brothers and sisters, with, with patience and established heart. Be encouraged by God's word. Finally, James says, persevere in integrity. Persevere to the end in integrity. I get that from what he says there in verse 12. Look there with me. He says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. I mean, we read that and immediately we think, we may be thinking, well, like, what does this have to do with the coming of the Lord? 
Well, we can start with where we've, we've read this before. This is pretty well a word-for-word copy of Jesus' words from his Sermon on the Mount, where he tells us the exact same thing. Don't swear, don't make oaths. And the question is, well, well why? I mean, we've, we've heard people do this. They tell us something drastic, or maybe we've done this ourselves. We tell us something drastic, and they say, I swear on my life, or I swear on my mother's grave, or their child, or they promise that if I'm lying, you can have my, my most treasured possession. Well, why do people do this? People do this because people lie. They can't be trusted. You can't just take them at face value for their word. And so in order to prove to you that they're not lying, they swear by something greater than themselves. But James, in the words of Jesus, he says, hey, why don't we try something crazy? Why don't we try something really different why don't we just tell the truth? Why don't we just say what we mean? Hey, something, something crazy, I know. Let's just be honest. The issue here is an issue of integrity. And if people know that you are a person of integrity, well, they'll take your word for it. There's no need to prove you aren't lying or that you're, that you're not lying. This, it becomes an issue of integrity. I just take your word for what you said. And this becomes important because when you and I face pressure, when, when we get impatient about Jesus coming and we face trials and tribulations, well, the pressure is on for us to compromise. When Jesus is taking his time in returning, we think, well, we, we can just compromise here or there. We've got time. And when the pressure is on, we say what we need to say, we do what we need to do to get out of that situation And James is saying, even though you're facing pressure, even though you're facing hardships, you need to maintain your integrity. Why? Well, it's for the sake of the gospel. I mean, this has everything to do with our witness to the world while we wait. People need to know that we as followers of Jesus are people that can be trusted. We are people who say what they mean and mean what they say. So that when the time comes and the door opens for us to share the truth of God's word with them, our word holds weight. If people can't trust the things that come out of your mouth, why in the world would they trust the things that come out of your mouth when you share God's word with them? If you fall under condemnation in your relationships, the witness and the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ is tainted in your life which tells us again that while we're waiting, we aren't sitting in sanctuaries held up or or holed up in our homes, but the expectation is that we're out there and we're telling people and warning them, Jesus is returning. Jesus is on his way. We're telling people there is going to come a day when you will stand before the God who created you and you will give an account for your life. And in that day, in that day, what will be your defense? Who will be there to justify you before the Lord? And the answer we give them is that it's exactly why Jesus came to this world. We can be justified through him. He is our advocate before the Father. Jesus came 
to take on my sin and your sin and to pay our penalty, to face judgment so that you and I don't have to. It is his death that purchases our forgiveness and his resurrection that grants us new life. Oh, but the promise is that he's coming again. That he's gone to prepare a place for us and he promised that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I pray the Lord would give us strength to persevere to the end. I pray that we would persevere in patience. I pray that today we would establish our hearts to the Lord. I pray that his word would be a source of encouragement. I pray that Christ would enable you to hold fast your integrity for the sake of the gospel. Thanks for listening and making us a part of your walk. We encourage you to take today's teachings and apply it to your life. Challenge not only yourself, but those around you. Our support in your journey does not end here. To hear more messages from all our series or to speak to someone to help grow your faith, visit us at branley.org.